There will be spoilers on this podcast, so if you don't want to be spoiled for this book, stop listening now. Hi, horned dogs and doggettes. I'm Lena. And I'm Nadine. I'm a writer and a critic. I work in book publishing. We're lesbians. And we're in love. This is Thinking Straight, a bi-weekly podcast where we read and analyze contemporary heterosexual romance novels. We love women, and we want women's interests to be taken seriously, which is why we're making this podcast. So if you enjoy any of the books we talk about, please know that we love that for you. And we're roasting them from a place of love of the genre and its readers. We hope this podcast makes you laugh or makes you think, ideally, both. So without further ado, let's get into this week's book. Yes, this week we read Neon Gods by Katie Robert. Nadine, do you want to talk about why you picked this book? So I picked this book because I felt like it was time for us to get into the fantasy zone on this podcast. I Wrong also, book. <laughs> yeah, I picked this we'll get book into specifically that. because it was billed as like urban fantasy dark romance, which I thought would be a good easing in point. But I also picked it because I saw on the preview of the book that it had a map in the beginning and Lena hates that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let's do it. As revenge for me calling you out on the podcast last week, you were like, let's annoy Lena. Yeah, listeners might not know, I'm very anti-lore. If there is like a knowledge barrier to entry for me to read your fucking book, um, I'm immediately salty. Like, I have not read any Tolkien for this reason. I'm not generally like a high fantasy girly. I mean, if there, like, a map is not inherently prohibitive, Juniper and Thorn is one of my favorite reads of the last year. There's a map at the beginning of that. Sometimes it's fun to reference the map and be like, oh, they're over here. This book, did we need the map? Sure didn't. (laughs) No, we really didn't. It was just a map of this one city. Yeah. But anyway, it did have a map, and I was like, oh, fantasy time. I personally am really into world building, so build the world in the book like that's whatever (laughs) that's literally what it's for yeah well jokes on you (laughs) yeah jokes on me because was this book fantasy Mm, pretty questionable i hardly hardly only in that the boundaries of this random city country floating island in the sky question mark cause physical pain when crossed that that was literally it yeah so Um, i mentioned that it was a urban dark fantasy but it is a retelling of the greek myth of hades and persephone yeah that is what the book is about is the first book in katie roberts 10 book series called dark olympus Mm -hmm. i will quickly say i do think like the hades and persephone thing also appealed to us because that is frankly, a red flag um, right <laughs> off the bat. Like, Hades and Persephone is not like, oh my god, been waiting for their love story. If you yeah. are a sane person who has read the Hades and Persephone myth. So I think we had also had quite a few uh, fluffy weeks and were waiting for something gross to happen, kind of. And it didn't deliver on that either. I know. <laughs> we it's didn't like, get the dark or, or the, the fantasy. fantasy. <laughs> but without further ado, why don't you deliver unto the people your beautiful mm-hmm. synopsis? Mm-hmm. Yes. So this modern city of Olympus, where is it located? I don't know. There's no way to know. It is split into the upper city on the north side of the River Styx and the lower city to the south. Ruled by the 13, the high-powered politicians and socialites who control the many facets of city life and take on the mantles of the pantheon as they rise to power, 
there isn't much room for anyone to step out of the roles society has set for them. The 13 is technically the 12 and technically also the 11 at this point in the book, but don't worry about it. Okay. (laughs) Almost 25 years old, Persephone Demetrio is desperate to come into her inheritance and use the money to flee the city once and for all, far beyond the reaches of backstabbing politics and the sunshiny good girl persona her conniving mother, Demeter, has set for her. Not her birth name, but she's just Demeter now. She's become Demeter. (laughs) She's been elected, I think. Yeah, she was elected Demeter and now she has no... It's so funny. It's like... building as you can tell leaves a lot to be desired but anyway this is just the synopsis so i'm like desperately trying to just get through like explaining the book but it's so hard anyway if you're whatever questions you have coming up just don't worry about it because they're not answered yeah okay (laughs) persephone is ambushed at a party by a surprise engagement to zeus and she can't wait any longer. She knows that if she doesn't flee now, she'll end up six feet under, like all of Zeus's previous wives. In a panic, she runs off into the night, fleeing from Zeus's henchmen across the bridge over the river Styx, fighting through the painful magical barrier that keeps most Olympians from crossing between the upper and lower cities. Wounded and chilled, she falls into the arms of none other than Hades himself, the final member of the Thirteen, and a man that, until that moment, she believed to be a myth entirely, because his parents were killed, and that was supposed to kill the whole Hades bloodline. Right, but also everyone in the upper city but her basically knows that he exists, so whatever, don't worry about it. It's fine. Hades... Hades offers her protection from Zeus and his cronies, taking her home and tending her wounds. Persephone is wary and hesitant at first, but she knows she can't return home, so she strikes up a deal. If Hades lets her stay here in the lower city with him until spring, when she can finally access her trust and leave Olympus once and for all, she'll help him get the revenge on Zeus he's been seeking ever since Zeus murdered his parents as a child. When he was a child, not when Zeus is a child. Zeus is like supposed to be like 70 years old. Yeah, I think and once 60s, again, they said. They're just mid-60s. regular men. Yep. And not brothers. Don't worry about no, it. No, it's fine. <laughs> Persephone lays out the plan. If Zeus thinks that Hades has defiled his pure, perfect bride, he'll be spurred into crossing the river to take her back, thus breaking the 13th secret treaty that's kept Olympus out of conflict for decades and allowing Hades to attack him outright. But in order to make it convincing, they can't just play pretend. Hades refuses at first, but Persephone assures him that she wants this, and she isn't the blushing virgin Zeus seems to think she is. Hades warns her that if she agrees to this game, they have to play it right. And that includes having semi-public sex at the parties he holds down in his sex dungeon, and belonging to him for these three months. Equal parts taken aback and turned on, Persephone agrees. Their chemistry is instantly undeniable, And as Hades shows her around the lower city, she begins to see that the persona of the terrifying dark king is just that, a persona and a politically advantageous facade. Shining through the cracks is the real Hades, who knows shopkeepers by name, whose citizens don't fear him, but respect him. Compared to the shiny high-rises and backstabbing politics of the upper city, the realm of Hades feels like a respite and a dream to Persephone. Later that week, arriving at his dungeon play party, Hades knows that Persephone isn't ready yet to put herself on display in the spotlight in front of all these people, and they retreat to his throne in the shadows, though half the room watches them anyway as they have sex over there. If you can hear Neil, he's asleep. (laughs) As time passes, the threats mount from the upper city, and Hades and Persephone grow closer and closer together. As they near the end of their three months, it's clear that they've fallen in love, and neither of them want this time to end. But Persephone wants freedom, wants out of Olympus entirely, and Hades won't confess his feelings and ask her to stay. 
Meanwhile, Zeus is trying to get his intended bride, not through war, but by another means entirely, through her sisters. One of his henchmen stalks and attacks her sister Eurydice, chasing, <laughs> which is... She has four sisters, and they're like Eurydice, Callisto, uh, and two other important Greek myth women, none of the, whom are actually related in Greek mythology. Do not worry about it. Yeah. So the henchmen stalk and attack Eurydice, chasing her to the bridge in the same way they did to Persephone earlier. But this time, it looks like they intend on finishing the job. Watching from the other side of the bridge in horror, Hades makes a rash decision. He'll cross the bridge and break the treaty to save Persephone's sister. He almost beats her assailant to death, and they bring a rattled Eurydice back to his house to recover. Now that the treaty has been broken, war is on the horizon, and they only have a handful of hours to prepare. Knowing Hades has no chance of fighting the rest of the Thirteen alone, Persephone makes a choice. She'll go back to the upper city and turn herself in to Zeus to buy them some time, and then attempt to use her mother's influence to turn the tides and bring half of the Thirteen onto Hades' side. Meanwhile, Hades has his own plan. He shows up to Zeus's penthouse office in the early morning with a gun <laughs> to take him out. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's so funny. With a gun! With a gun! He's got a gun. All of a sudden, he really does just have a gun. (laughs) But ultimately, he decides that going through with it would make him no better a man than Zeus himself. However, Zeus isn't so compassionate. In the resulting struggle, he backs himself up too close to the window and plummets to his death. With new alliances forged and the power-hungry Zeus out of the way, the war is off and Persephone is free to reunite with her love. A few months later in the epilogue, Persephone and Hades finally take to the stage in his dungeon. And I am realizing that I never finished the synopsis, but basically they fuck. And that's the end. On a stage in his sex dungeon, which is like, yeah, they've been working up to it. for, yeah. yeah. Good for them. Um, Yay. Believe it or not. (laughs) Okay, the good news this is my favorite book we've read so far. Yeah. Like, bar none. <laughs> we were like, mm, this is kind of good, actually. <laughs> we both, like, fully unironically enjoyed this for the most part. I, I'm literally, like, solid three and a half stars just because yeah. four stars is, like, a very high rating on a five-star mm-hmm. scale. It can't be four stars because, as previously mentioned several times, the world building what <laughs> right like, no one knows what's going on in this book. is it good it doesn't matter is it good as a book no but is it good as erotica like yeah yeah <laughs> yes um we don't have to go too deep into that because <laughs> family members listen to this podcast but i don't know like the sex scenes are well written yeah. and composed and even though there's this weird like veneer of power play over the whole thing like Hades is really just like Persephone's dude, like yeah. immediately. Like wife he's guy. Wife guy. Like he wants to be a knife guy so bad. <laughs> but he's a wife guy. I'm a Bim Bam listener, that one's for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which it's funny because like instead of leaning into like that actually being fairly cute and charming, Robert pretends that. Like, I was just like, who's Robert? <laughs> it's the last name of the author. Yeah, the author. Um, <laughs> Bob. Um, thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Robert pretends that this power play thing is like still happening, even though yeah. it's like clearly not. And like, like he's this big dom. Formidable dom. No. I'm like, no, he's like her bitch. And I say mm. that affectionately. And good for him. Genuinely good for him. Good for her. The whole thesis of this novel, I think, if you read it correctly, is that both of these people have these political personas that do not work for them in their personal life. Mm -hmm. And Hades is that he is like this 
bad daddy dom mm-hmm. who will like kill anyone and blah 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 and like persephone is this like sunshine like mm-hmm. so literally they're like grumpy sunshine but like when they actually get together persephone is like oh no like i know what i want and i'm a bad bitch and i'm gonna get it yeah and hades is like oh i'm like anything hopelessly you, in love with love. you like literally <laughs> yeah if anything not that i'm going to ascribe top and bottom to heterosexual sex but uh it, he's a service top <laughs> literally <laughs> he literally like doesn't come I to, know. <laughs> to please her which like he's always like i gotta control myself let me get that thing back in my pants yeah if we want to talk about fantasy in this book <laughs> yeah um but truly yeah like ends of the earth there is some like i would burn the world down for her i would kill anyone for her but like that's just not true. And no. like, at the end of the day, he's like, those aren't my morals, actually. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I he won't even kill his mortal enemy. Literally. Parents. <laughs> like, he's not going to kill some rando. I'm like, her. okay, I like literally love that for you. Mm-hmm. It's like if Alex Volkov looked in the mirror one day and was like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> never mind all that. <laughs> literally, like, that was weird. That was a weird little time. But there is like some odd valences of just like mm-hmm. no like this is hardcore and it's like it's not and that's actually good um yeah we like that we for you. genuinely really <laughs> like that it was also like our birthday week and we were in a really good mood just like mm-hmm. in general <laughs> i do genuinely think the chemistry between these characters was really compelling and yeah. it is definitely the best portrayal of a heterosexual sexual relationship where the power is being negotiated yes like in a way that seems to i don't know i don't want to sound too much like I graduated from Smith with a gender studies degree, <laughs> but unavoidable. Like they're negotiating like these sort of sexual dynamics as though their gender roles don't exist mm-hmm. to a certain extent, mm-hmm. which is funny because like you can tell the book really wants them to to a certain yeah, yeah, extent. Yeah. It's trying kind of to have its cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. Like it's so hot when women are like fragile and <laughs> like men take care of them, but like actually that's not happening it's yeah. like wait 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 wait. but like in the actual sex for the most part it is very like persephone's calling the shots mm-hmm. she knows what gives her pleasure and hades is just like here for it mm-hmm. and he's just like oh my god i love this woman but like he doesn't cease to have a personality because of that they are both still very much their own people with their own confusing but extant backstories <laughs> um and yeah, I like really wanted these people to keep fucking yeah. like, for the entire book. invested in it. And uh, they do. Yeah, so. that's most of the book. I will say, as I was writing the synopsis, I was like, God, it's taking me so long to write this. And it feels like there's a lot of plot in this book. But it didn't feel that way when we were reading it because yeah. it is mostly sex scenes. Yeah. The solid, I would say, middle 70% of the book is almost entirely sex scenes with some little like nice trips around town yeah. in between. And then there's some plot at the beginning and the end. Until like the last 100 pages or like 75 pages when you're like okay guys like what's gonna happen yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Are, but are they gonna have sex on the stage <laughs> like, literally i was finishing the book and like talking it out with nadine and then i was like wait i'm sorry like i'm at the epilogue and i need to find out about them having sex on the stage <laughs> go away like leave me be um so another thing that i will say is notable about this book in a positive way is that actually both of them are bisexual and like named as such like they both 
say out loud to each other. Or I guess Hades doesn't, it's like in his internal monologue maybe, but it's referenced that he had a male partner in the mm-hmm. past and she had an ex-girlfriend and she like brings that up to him and it literally, they don't even address yeah. it. It is so normal. This is something that I have gathered also from doing a bit of research into this author and her books in general. It seems like she kind of writes books where like everyone is assumed bisexual. So if you're interested in that kind of universe, definitely check out. She's written a ton of books and it seems like in most of them, many people are bisexual. Yeah, it's interesting and like kind of difficult to adjust to at first because so much of Olympus is like what your public persona is and people judging you and all this stuff, but also like everyone is like really down with the LGBT, which- or, <laughs> Rolling with the LGBT. <laughs> or the B. Um, so you have to kind of, I think, adjust. But like when Zeus kicks it, for instance, Perseus is next in line to become Zeus and they're like, you know, whoever Perseus gets with will be the next Hera. So like he could get with a dude and that dude would have the political title of Hera, <laughs> which is kind of sick. And yeah. Hermes is a woman. Hermes is a woman. The genders of the gods all otherwise seem to conform to the conventional like mm-hmm. mythos. But yeah, there are like these moments of sort of transgression and subversion that feel fresh and interesting. And I would be stupid to say that the buy for buy thing doesn't seem to play a part in the fact that the sex between these two characters is very not concerned with masculine posturing or, mm-hmm, or like, mm-hmm. you know, man fucks woman. Like, blah, blah, yeah. blah. I feel we should do a digression really quickly because the conceit of this podcast is that we read straight romance novels, by which we mean the relationship that is happening in these novels is between a straight couple, by which we mean a man and a woman. There has been some pretty heady discourse in recent years about whether or not it is kind or correct to refer to a couple where one or both of the people is not themselves heterosexual as a heterosexual couple, even if the couple is composed of a man and a woman. And just like Oxford English Dictionary defines heterosexual as an adjective as like referring to a relationship between people of the opposite sex or gender, like, Mm -hmm. and thus the same for homosexual, like a bi woman could be with a lesbian and those could be two married women. And I would refer to that as a homosexual or a lesbian relationship, but I'm not ascribing an identity label onto either of those women. I'm just talking about how their relationship is classified in our society. And Mm -hmm. like, maybe people feel that that is reductive and makes them feel like their identity is not being spoken to. But I, I think we just both feel very strongly that for the sake of clarity and language, that's not what's happening. And you can be bi and in a straight relationship, by which I mean, if you were in that relationship in 2014, you could get married anywhere in the United States and the federal government would not try to stop you. (laughs) Yeah. And I I will also say on this topic, I think that often recently in the publishing industry, there have been books that are specifically marketed as queer romance because it features a couple that is a like bisexual woman and a bisexual man or something like that, like because the people within the relationship are queer themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and this book series is not marketed that way at right. all. The author has a pretty extensive website with all of her books and additional lore on there. And none of that language is there also. So the bisexuality um, is very much like an Easter egg. Yeah, um, we did not. When I chose this book, I did not know that yeah. this was going to be a part of it at all. Yeah. Um, so we were kind of surprised. We were like, oh, like 
slay. She's bisexual. And then we we're like, he's bisexual too. Oh I know. My God. I mean, Easter egg is in like, I found it and I was like, that's so lovely. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, just a little disclaimer about that. I don't want anyone to think the author has branded this as queer romance and we are ignoring that. Or that we believe that someone who's in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex is therefore no longer bi because that literally doesn't make any sense um (laughs) this is just a clarity of language thing and you are free to use whatever language feels best for you but this is our podcast so (laughs) (laughs) with that out of the way yeah it's super cool that bisexuality bisexuality le bisexuality (laughs) it's very cool that bisexuality is so normal in this world and as nadine alluded to it is extra cool that Hades and Persephone just seem to like get each other mm-hmm. on that level. It's unclear if that's because like everyone in this world just has the potential to be bisexual mm-hmm. at any time, or if it's because like they specifically this is a buy for buy relationship and Hades is like, yeah, your ex girlfriend, like whatever. Yeah, but there's a lot of like sexual health thumbs up mm-hmm. moments in this book. It has by far the most consent <laughs> in a quote unquote BDSM ish mm-hmm. dynamic that we have seen, but also like they decide as a couple to stop using protection. And mm-hmm. Persephone is like, I'm on an IUD. I want to do this because it would be sexy. And I haven't been with anyone since my ex girlfriend. And Hades is like, sick. Like I get tested regularly and I'm fine. Yeah. So, like, literally, I was like, damn it. Like, she. She did all of it. Like, I don't <laughs> she have, checked all the boxes. I don't have like, any complaints about that interaction. <laughs> yeah. No, we were really pleasantly surprised. And what Lena was just saying about the like BDSM kink negotiation thing, it is very much negotiated. I mean, he's like, if you agree to this, I'm going to fuck you in my sex dungeon in, in public. And she's like, whoa, okay. Like, he. But then like before anything happens, before they do anything other than like kiss, yeah. he like sits her down and he's like, okay, yes or no, are you okay with these things? They, like, go through a whole checklist. I know. Like, it's like, on, Lena was reading this a little ahead of when I was, and I was like, oh, what's going on right now? And she was like, they're doing kink negotiation. And I was like, ooh. And she was like, it's not as exciting. It's, like, literally it's boring. <laughs> like, which literally. Is, which is how it should be, frankly. Like, yeah. I think anyone who is in kink culture, BDSM culture, is like, yes. Like, it should be a very, like, sober, serious conversation where you're yeah. just, like, both in a non-sexual situation yeah. being like, how do you feel about this right um they set up a safe word which is pomegranate by the way <laughs> um shift that down to plc real quick yeah <laughs> but it is very much negotiated yeah and i will say I, I won't get too predictable lesbian critical right now but i do think like part of why that part of the novel is so whatever is because like there's no specifics being said at all it's just mm-hmm. like and then we negotiated what like we would be into i know like i'm like oh <laughs> tell me the juicy details <laughs> but i just like get the impression that robert is like aware of various aspects of king culture mm-hmm. but like actually does not really know much about it at yes. all because to be clear like these people do not actually like really do kink like, no. <laughs> they just like they they have a vague like power dynamic in their relationship that shifts like very fluidly throughout the book and are into exhibitionism. And like he makes her say, yes, sir. (laughs) But like I wrote in our notes, 
it's assumed that Persephone will just know what everything is. Like, he's just, like, going through everything. And she's like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And, like, yeah, she's a worldly woman or whatever. But I said, this is ridiculous because if you know even a little bit about king culture, you know that it's, like, stoner culture. And for such a supposedly chill and liberating activity, the expertise barrier to entry is ridiculous. Like, literally. Speaking of hating when there's a barrier to entry. Like, literally, yeah. You're like, I can't get into that. Yeah, it's too much work. There's literally too much Lauren King. Um, no, like, but it is, like, there's just so much. Well, she walks in and she's like, oh, it's a St. Andrew's cross. And I'm like, girl, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, what? How do you know that? You've never been in a dungeon before. <laughs> like, what are you saying? I know. And meanwhile, like, you know, this is one of those books where the writing is like, I went through an archway that had arched columns. And it's like, okay, but you're not going to explain what a fucking St. Andrew's cross. Like, I still don't know what that is to this day. Nadine's going to make me find out right now. I think the stoner analogy is a good one. There's, It's just like such an intense subculture and there's so much going on. Okay, I have officially learned what a St. Andrew's Cross is. Thank it's just you. the X-shaped thing. Yeah, that someone that you tie ties you to, I guess. Fascinating. But yeah, it's like there's kink happening, but like not really. And I think the not really is what makes us not have as many issues. <laughs> um, yeah. Some of the dynamic going on in this novel because as I'll get into in PLC, it is interesting how often Robert feels the need to have Persephone especially be like, I'm in control here. Like no matter what Hades does, like I'm in control. And like that is just literally not what you're signing up for in a BDSM <laughs> relationship. Like yeah. part of the dynamic is that you are giving up control to someone and like there is a lot of trust inherent in that. And ideally like both consenting adults are responsible and whatever. But I think part of the potential risk that you have to calculate if you are going to enter into such a thing is that that is the situation. And that's the point of it. Right. Or, you know, like the that. point is to, to <laughs> cede control. Right. And for someone to have, like, the power of right. control. Right. And so it is a little bit, yeah. I mean, should we just get into PLC while we're at it? Have we talked about all the good news? Uh, the last thing I'll say is that, like, there is a reasonable attempt being made at this book to say like fuck purity culture mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and fuck purity culture in romance novels specifically hades like makes fun of persephone and is like oh are you a virgin and she's like gross no <laughs> like, <laughs> she's like i'm a 25 year old woman like what the fuck but i'm sure there are many other hades and persephone retelling smut books mm-hmm. um where persephone is because our culture is obsessed with the virginity of young women in particular to a fetishistic level and that troubles us as feminists for (laughs) obvious reasons and apparently it troubles katie robert too which is yeah pretty cool moving on to plc and apologies if you can hear our neighbors loud music we cannot do anything about it (laughs) (laughs) we'll start where we usually do which is with the writing the writing here was like on the better side of what we've experienced. But mm-hmm. my particular beef with it is, and I think it's partly wrapped up in the Greek myth retelling package. Mm-hmm. It's just got this pseudo-intellectual vibe of like <laughs> these women online who are obsessed with the idea of capital L literature. But like if you ever put the Pulitzer Prize winner for literature in front of them, they would like wither away. <laughs> <laughs> like a flower in the winter time. <laughs> and, you know, being into like Greek myth retellings gives you some classical, mm-hmm. like capital C classical mm-hmm. clout. And it's like you've got a stone bust on your bookshelf or whatever, but like all you're reading is like Cassandra Clare. Like, <laughs> no offense to Cassandra Clare, but she's not winning the Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> 
and like blah 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 institutions determine what is high or low art and that can be problematic but also like high and low art exist and Mm -hmm. there is writing on a highbrow level and there is writing that is not that and that is fine and there are places in the ecosystem for both of them but don't try to sell me smut and pretend that it's elevated yeah like (laughs) an example of this from the text Persephone says, pining for a life that was no longer mine seemed a study in madness. And I'm like, that is the exact kind of sentence that a passive reader might think is good writing if you're just going through it. But if you look back at it, you realize it is, in fact, bad writing. (laughs) Um, A study in madness. Like, this is a normal girl. Yeah, Um, this isn't an Agatha Christie (laughs) novel. It's not a fucking... Yeah, this is a normal ass 25 year old girl in like supposedly a modern urban world. And that is literally just screaming for like, highlight me on your Kindle and post screenshots of it to your bookstagram account, where you talk about like wanting to get fucked up against a library shelf while like candle wax drips on you from the like (laughs) candle opera you have above or whatever like it's just giving aesthetics over craft Mm -hmm. um style over substance and that annoys me as someone who loves both (laughs) style and substance Mm -hmm. if this book had both like it might be one of my favorite reads of the year. <laughs> like, can you imagine if this book that like, would be huge. also had great writing? Like, that would be fucking crazy. We wouldn't have picked it, obviously. But yeah, there is just like this, I think, subculture online of being really into the idea of reading mm-hmm. and having books, but like not really into the idea of like challenging language. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're writers, so that's silly. Yeah. Another example, I'm not merely one of Demeter's daughters. I am Persephone, and I love the king of their dreaded lower city. To them, he might as well be king of the underworld itself, lord of the dead. Like, <laughs> like there were so many things like that where she was like, it's almost as if she's a goddess. It's, it's almost like I'm Persephone in a Hades and Persephone retelling. <laughs> it's like, shut the, like, we get. Yeah, we get. Actually, it. though, if you, and we can just get into this next, <laughs> if you had just made these original characters and built your own original world around mm-hmm. it instead of jerking off to Greek mythology, which is a take in the first place mm-hmm. and doesn't like make jerking off an elevated experience (laughs) it would have been a more cohesive and coherent book (laughs) because and this is something that was echoed by a lot of people online as well in the reviews of this book it's more like a mafia romance than a a greek myth retelling like the only thing that makes it a greek myth retelling is all the names that she superimposed onto these characters. And as you gleaned from the first 10 seconds of the synopsis, the way that she imposes the names onto the characters is clumsy as fuck. And very clunky. Makes no sense. And like, we've got Persephone being sisters with Eurydice for no reason at all. Let's talk about the world building. (laughs) So do they have magic? Unclear, completely unclear. It seems like magic kind of exists in this world, but also like, not really the, or no one has like magical powers no one has magical powers except for maybe hermes because hermes is always just like popping up everywhere and people keep being like i don't know how she does it it's like magic 
And it's like, but to me, but that just gave magic? like rom com energy of, yeah. Oh, like she's so good at getting the goss. I wasn't no, like. No, but it's like literally she is like getting into people's homes without them hearing or seeing I know, her I know. and like appearing on their bed when all the doors and windows were locked. Like yeah. it, it is kind of implied like maybe she has magic or you're just supposed to be like, I don't know how she's getting in. Yeah. But then there's also this situation with the bridge across the river sticks. And there's also people talk about like, oh, if you have Hades invitation to cross the river, then it's easy like to cross through the barrier over the right. bridge and it doesn't hurt you if you're invited. Right. So it's like, so he has the magical power to invite people in and he has some influence over this barrier. But then it's also like the entire city of Olympus is hard to get out of because of some sort of stronger magical barrier? Right. No, Persephone's whole deal is that she's waiting until she's 25 so that her trust fund will kick in and she can pay someone to get her out of Olympus because they can somehow make it less painful. Don't ask me how it's not yeah. described. It is not it is not but really you need described a lot of money, why it's even it hard or impossible to get out of Olympus. Like it's kind of just like it's almost impossible to get out, but if I have the right resources and the right connections, I can yeah. do it, which is why I need my trust funds. So it's I like, think she says it's a pain what? thing. It's like some sort of magical barrier. There's some yeah. sort of barrier between Olympus and the rest of the world. But I now, think she describes the question. I think she describes that barrier but not the one into the lower city at all. And then suddenly she's like running into the lower city and she's like, the physical pain that enters me as I cross the bridge or whatever. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking? Like, <laughs> is this still a part of Olympus or not? But like it is, she's yeah. just making up reasons for like Persephone to need her trust fund so she could go study at Berkeley. Yes. Um <laughs> so here's my next point. This brings me to my next point. Where is Olympus physically in the world? We just don't know. There's no way to no, she is like, I'm going to get my PhD at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. She's apparently gotten a master's degree in Olympus. In what subject? <laughs> Not ever mentioned. What oh. is she going? What does she care enough about to get her PhD in? We have no inkling of it. If she was Zero. like, I love botany and I'm going to go study botany at Berkeley or like I'm a musician and I'm going to go, you know, we'd be like, slay girl, like, yes, yeah. go for it. But She's just like, I can't wait until I can go to California and get my PhD at Berkeley. And it's like, what? Like, what? The specific passage, this is mentioned once in the entire book. We had to flip back to it and be like, that wasn't a fever dream, right? You also read that. But she's like, the path was always so clear in front of me. Finish my master's, then go to Berkeley to get my PhD. So like... Through bad and unclear writing, it is unclear whether or not she is supposed to be actively working on a master's yes. degree throughout all of the events of this book. We have book, no idea. Which it's is an amazing possibility. An amazing possibility. Is she like zooming in? They have Zoom in this world They have, also. yeah. Hades it's fucking not named zooms Zoom. with the rest of the gods. He's like, um, hey, like Hades here logging onto the, vi they just call it a video call, but he, he's like video calling into the conference room with the rest of the yeah, gods. I'm like, he's like, I look at the panel that Poseidon is in. No, and like, like, shut up. <laughs> they all have phones, but they don't have social media, but there's gossip sites where like all of the gossip gets between the upper city and the lower right. city. Which gossip sites are immediately giving like 2007. Yes. So, but they have like, smart, they seem to have like smartphones. But they seem to have smartphones. 
It's so bizarre. Because it's like, oh, he loads the app to video call my sister. You know, like, they reference Star Wars at some point. They reference <laughs> Princess Leia. Oh, my God, yeah. And, wow. like, what level What level of contact? He makes a joke about Ohio. Like, are they in America? I literally, like, are they put my Greece? book down when he mentioned Ohio. <laughs> it is so excruciating. I cannot. They mentioned the country of Greece yes, at one point. I and I was like... <laughs> So who knows where Olympus is? Who knows what the laws of this world are? Yeah, physically. It is unclear also how it's mentioned that some of the 13 get passed down like father to son, Mm -hmm. which is also like, if everyone's so bisexual in this world, like what the hell is going on with that father to son bloodline lineage? Anyway. um, So true. But But no, those are only the legacy positions, which are Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades. Yes. And then the rest are just whoever's in it. So those have to be male, ostensibly. Are they elected? Are they hired? Like, what is the structure politically of this world? Why? So, like, men still have the most power, but it's girl boss time. (laughs) mm. Yeah. This is my biggest, my biggest thing with this book was just like, what the hell is going on? And one, I don't think I included this in Anthropology Corner, but one Goodreads user really put it very well. And she said something along the lines of if Katie Roberts had spent half the time she spent on sex scenes fleshing out the world building, this book would have been so much better. And like I said, we were happy with the sex scenes. We were like not mad about them at all. They were good sex scenes, but oh my God, it was distracting at times how confused Anytime there tried to be a plot, like, it was like, why? Not just because we were enjoying, like, the erotica or whatever, but just genuinely, like, why? It was harrowing. It was mind-boggling. I was flipping back to be like, wait, did they say what the deal was with this? No, they never did. Never do. So Another example of bad, vague writing that contributes to the confusion of the overall world building. When Persephone is about to cross into the lower city to avoid Zeus's henchmen, Her inner monologue says, Cypress Bridge rises up in front of me, an ancient stone bridge with columns that are larger around than I am and twice as tall. They create an arch that gives the impression of leaving this world behind. Okay. (sighs) Columns that create an arch. Mm Mm-hmm. That's called an arch. Yep. Oxymoronic (laughs) phrase. A column is straight up and down by definition. An arch (laughs) is not. Um, gives the impression of leaving this world. Are you leaving the world behind or not? Because she seems to be. there is some metaphysical boundary, <laughs> apparently, here. We never get any answers. And we're just here to yell about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you getting your PhD in, girly? Do your credits transfer from <laughs> Olympus? Is Berkeley just going to be like, oh, word. You got your master's in dick from Olympus <laughs> University. Like... <laughs> Well, that is what it seems that she is doing, because what we also, I think our second biggest critique besides the world building was like... This is an actual lesbian criticism. Yes, this is a lesbian criticism, not just a writing criticism. Yeah. She has just given up her entire life vision that was like her whole plan forever to go do the exact thing that she spent this entire book saying that she was so sick of doing, which is sacrifice herself and her needs for everyone else. Like, and be a politician. Yeah. She's like, I hate this politics of Olympus. I can't wait to get out of here. Like, I'm going to go be free in the world. And that's her dream. And that's why, because Hades knows how important that is to her. That's why he won't tell her that he loves her. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to make her feel beholden to staying with him. Yeah. Which is like, slay. Yeah, you know, like king he, behavior. He actually like cares about her yeah. enough to be like, I need to let her go. 
But then she's like, oh, let me just go turn myself into Zeus and like go back to my family and be like, mom, if you do this bargain with me, then I'll be part of your political game and I'll spend time with you here in the upper city and also spend time with Hades in the lower city and make him part of your politics too, yeah. which he also doesn't want. Right. It's like she becomes his media coach, yeah. basically. They like do a press conference together and she's like, it'll get easier from here. And I'm just like, this, this is everything you hate. You would have rather like died than do this. 30 pages ago. Yeah. It's not like she goes through this evolution while Hades is showing her the adorable small town that he <laughs> happens to preside over. And she's like, oh, maybe I could get used to this. She is like, I'm starting to refer to this as home. Mm-hmm. But like, that is not enough to... She's still saying like, the plan is for me to leave. Yeah. Around I, like page 340 of this like 380 page book or 370. I, I was convinced that until the last like 30 pages of this book, this is going to end with like, they get to the end of this, something happens, Zeus is out of the picture and she gets to go be free in the world. But she like agrees to come back to Olympus to be with him for half the year. Because that would be literally the what... Oh. That would make it... <laughs> a retelling in some sense and i thought that that would be pretty satisfying i was like kind of a slave they just have like a long distance relationship for half the year and then she comes back and hangs out with him during the winter and like yeah is that she made him adopt uh keep him company yeah but it's not that it's not that and she She just just gives gives up up all her dreams and is like The back 70 pages of this book are like so messy to try to synopsize correctly. But for most of the book, you're leading up to like Zeus is going to wage an all out war on the lower city, which you're going to love because Hades is walking Persephone around the lower city and like introducing her to all the little Muppet uh, (laughs) village people who like run the greenhouse and the winter market. And like, you know, their children are going to die because Zeus is going to attack them. First of all, I will also say we love just straight up being like Zeus sucks. You know, Greek mythology retelling. Like, I think we as a society can acknowledge that. That does seem Um, to be the trend recently. And yeah, we're here for that. Like, that's literally factual. But yeah, Hades fucks Persephone very publicly. And Zeus is like, I'm going to kill everyone about it. Mm -hmm. And they're like waiting for Zeus to kill everyone about it. And then it seems like he's actually going to after he threatens to kill Eurydice in particular. And then. Persephone goes to her mom and is like, don't let him. And she's like, did you really fucking think I was going to let? Because also like Demeter is supposed to be this like conniving mama politician. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I literally had a plan this entire time. If you had just married him, I would have poisoned him Mm -hmm. like a week into your marriage. (laughs) And Persephone is like, oh, (laughs) Oh, so you mean I didn't have to fucking do all of this? (laughs) The entire plot of this book was stupid. The politics, none of it needs to happen Mm -hmm. none of it needs to exist like if someone could have just summed up those back 70 pages for me in a paragraph and i could have just skipped from the sex scene before that to (laughs) them fucking on the stage in his dungeon (laughs) like great reading experience (laughs) truly like it was so anticlimactic the end of it it's just like he's dead and everyone's like damn he just fell out the window it's so crazy anyway (laughs) (laughs) and it's like low-key like everyone's happy to see him dead so like it's not like he's a shitty guy and he was wielding his power over people in bad ways for ages and so no one's really like that put out about it but it is very much like she makes this big sacrifice and then he's like i'm gonna fight to the death with zeus and then he just fell out the window and then everyone's like okay never mind and then the next day they like name Zeus's son as the new Zeus and 
then like everyone just moves on yeah. literally it's like fine and it would be one thing if this book was about persephone's perceptions of the world being incorrect but it's not and we are supposed to take persephone's perceptions of the world at face value mm -hmm. and her perceptions of the world include like nobody knows who hades is everyone in the upper city is slimy and gross but they never go to the lower city mm -hmm. and zeus is unkillable and will unleash hell and like it just turns out that none of that is true for like plot convenience yeah <laughs> reasons everyone in the upper city is actually going to all of hades sex parties um <laughs> not everyone but a, a good number of people including some of the other 13 yeah and there is some like you know again purity culture commentary that comes from that of persephone being like they think they can dictate what people do but they're down here doing it too or like mm -hmm. whatever but it's it's just so bizarre and yeah it's just not good writing yeah Let's quickly talk about BDSM question mark in this book <laughs> before we get into anthropology corner, shall yeah. we? I feel like if they're going to have a dynamic, she should be the dom because that seems if like... If we must. <laughs> yeah, if we must, that seems like that is what is happening more than anything. He... And what would genuinely make them happier? Yes, because she's <laughs> like, oh, I'm so sick of being of service to everyone else. And he's like so sick of having to have this persona that he's like some big terrible guy right and so it's like why do you keep trying to pretend like you're even playing this out in your sex life because you're not by the right. end of it he's just like i need to worship her and she's like okay slay yeah <laughs> she's like i need to be worshipped actually <laughs> so it's like um what yeah it would have been hot and fun if they switched that around i think that would have been a fun twist but also like lena said earlier it's just like are they even doing bdsm not really right. like they're just basically having pretty regular sex and right. sometimes doing exhibitionism at these play parties. Right. And that is not hardcore by any means. Right. Mm. And like, do we need to assign roles and labels and like extrapolate something about who you are as a person every time you decide you like something in bed or don't like something in bed? Yeah. I feel like once again, internet porn. Thanks, internet porn. <laughs> Use our discount code. <laughs> straight 50 uh, for internet porn. Like, because of the micro categorization of different fetishes and different mm -hmm. sexual behaviors and different things one could like sexually that you could not have even learned about decades ago. Mm -hmm. And because of social media and the, like, avatarification of humanity and the describe yourself in a 100 character bioification of humanity like there is this intense need to define yourself yeah. based on these specific labels and human sexuality for the most part is one of those things that you cannot just distill down yep. into something like bottom top dominant submissive whatever like people feel the way that they feel at any given time. And like, <laughs> if you want to be in a subculture and you get off on like playing a particular role in that subculture, like that's one thing. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like this hyper fixation on, oh, I'm this way or like, I'm that way. And trust me, it is 100%. Well, I don't know. I won't say like it's more granular and ridiculous in the queer community, but it is definitely like- It is so present. Yeah, it's like, if you're a lesbian who's like a, butch who's into femmes or like a butch who's into 
butches. It's like, who do you like and what do you like to do with them? And that has to be set in stone yeah. forever. And like, we can't. And also like your whole identity. Right. And also your whole identity. And we can't like grow as people and have different uh-huh. dynamics depending on what relationship we're in, yeah. which is actually how being a human being yeah. works. So I do think there is some significant brain rot happening in our society, mm-hmm. especially like depending on how online you are around yes. these things. And like Hades and Persephone are unwilling victims mm-hmm. of it um, because that's just how, you know, I think romance, novel, erotica, female sexuality culture is yes. right now is this like obsession with what's your role? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. And part of the beauty of their relationship and part of why I liked this depiction of Mm -hmm. a relationship between a man and a woman more than any other we've read is that it is actually very fluid. Yeah. And there is actually a lot of surprise and negotiation and like, oh, I didn't think I would like this. Yeah. Like exciting power exchange in different directions. Like like, I trust you and that's hot or like I want to protect you and that's hot and like Mm -hmm. not something I ever thought that I would do. But then it's like, oh, but let's use these reductive labels that pretend like we're still doing the like right. thing everyone's comfortable with, which is pigeonholing human sexuality, which is literally like not possible. Yeah. <laughs> so <sighs> that's just our soapbox yeah. for the day. An example of this from the text itself. These are both early on and within the first 175 pages. He might dominate. I might submit. But the power balance is startlingly equal. Um, that's not how it's supposed to work, right? <laughs> like, yeah, like you are your own human with your own free will entering into a BDSM dynamic. Yeah. But like the appeal of a BDSM dynamic is supposed to be that someone has more power than the other yeah. person. <laughs> Another quote, for someone so determined to be labeled a monster, he's Hades, incredibly invested in my pleasure and consent. A thrill of power licks through me. I'm not in charge, not by any stretch of the imagination, but the knowledge that no matter what Hades does to me, I am choosing it. It's beyond sexy. Um, This is immediately (laughs) after Hades has been like, you don't even have to use our safe word. Just like, give me a sign and like, we won't do this. Mm -hmm. It's totally okay if you're not ready for it. And then she's like, I'm not in charge, not by any stretch of the imagination. It's like, no, you're, like, you're completely in charge. Like, like, kind of the whole point is that, like, Hades wants you to be your own person here. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's like, maybe you would get off on not being in charge, but it doesn't seem like that is the situation. Yeah. So, like, why don't you guys just be regular? Be regular. <laughs> it's fine. You don't have to be not like other girls about it. I know. Like, I don't want to act like we're not pathologizing people who are into BDSM. We're not saying yes. that, like, someone who's a submissive is less of a free-willed human being than someone who's a dominant. Mm-hmm. Like, it is a subculture that you willingly choose to be a part of. I think there are some potentially unhealthy social aspects to it or things that can bug me about trends within that subculture mm-hmm. as, again, a lesbian feminist bummer. <laughs> but, like, just being in a dynamic like that, I think, is morally neutral, right? Yeah. <laughs> so just to be clear, we're not saying any of that, but just based on the words that Robert has put in these people's brains about the dynamic that mm-hmm. they are in, it does not seem like they are actually choosing the correct <laughs> terminology no. for themselves. No. And it's it's just a little silly. It's just a little silly. That said, like Hades random bursts of dominance are gross uh, <laughs> and I'm not a fan. Largely the like annoying romance hero stuff that he does is like he is determined to 
take care of Persephone because he believes that she can't, like, and not just in terms of orgasms, which there is never any doubt that she could not take care of her own orgasms (laughs) in terms of, like, her physical safety. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very damsel in distress. You know, she goes to him having, like, walked on glass for miles or something (laughs) because, like, depending on this author's convenience, Olympus is either a slum or beautiful. So, like, he has to bandage her feet, and he's like, you could have gotten frost, but you were in a silk dress in the barren cold. You don't take care of yourself. And he insists on carrying her everywhere uh-huh. until her feet heal. And it does that annoying romance novel thing where she's like, it's my own body. Stop let it. Let, let me go. And then, like, 50 pages later, she's like, I actually kind of like it. <laughs> and it's like, uh, okay, <laughs> we can't meet the baseline of, like, trust a woman to walk by herself or like if it's literally that serious give her a wheelchair Mm -hmm. like this guy does not have to be physically picking her up yeah all the time also he's like not supposed to be like huge or anything so no she specifically mentioned several times that like he's not a really big guy yeah so like physically how how is he pulling this off also just like that's a grown woman he's like scooping her up and she's not supposed to be like teeny teeny tiny i mean she's definitely supposed to be skinny but like she's not under five feet tiny woman yeah uh the first time they ever have a sexual encounter in this new dom sub relationship they've somewhat negotiated which also i will say thumbs up for negotiating your sexual relationship not even within the bounds of kink when i was Working in a semi-sex educator capacity, aka working at a sensuality shop, I learned about this quiz that you can do online with new partners where it literally just goes through a bunch of different sex stuff, like which gets into some king stuff and can get like really specific if you want it to, but mostly it's just like, what are you into? What are your boundaries? And you just fill it out and then like give it to your partner mm-hmm. and then they fill it out. And it's like a really easy way to kind of break the ice around this stuff and just like encourage communication. Mm-hmm. and. Some of what they were doing reminded me of that. So again, thumbs up. Anyway, back to the stuff we don't like. In their early sexual dynamic, she says, you are astoundingly arrogant. It's my body. And he says, wrong. For the duration of this scene, it's my body. (laughs) Which like, gross. And also that's clearly not what either of them want or how they actually feel. So why? It feels very like kid dressing up in his dad's clothes. Kind of like he's like putting on this persona, but it doesn't feel at all like genuine or like is he really getting off on this like what is the point of this yeah what is the point of it it's just so yeah not within his character as he's characterized in every other way yeah and that's not to say that what you're into sexually has to correlate exactly to your personality out in the world just like in general obviously but it just doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense I mean, like him being overprotective of her to the extent that he does not trust her to walk by herself or eat on her (laughs) own, which is another thing. She like faints from not having eaten enough. And he's like, you can't be trusted anymore, which is not the correct response if that happens to your part. Like, yeah, there's a difference between that and like hey, is there something I could do to, like, can I bring snacks with us, like, when we go out? Like, yeah, that, I think, is a fascinating thing to maybe unpack a little bit more in um, Anthropology Corner, because, like, the modern woman do be skipping meals. Mm -hmm. Like, I struggle with this a lot, especially as someone whose sleeping patterns fluctuate a lot, depending on whether or not I have to go to my part-time job. Like, my eating schedule is just constantly all over the place, and it is very difficult to pin down, and unless you have... I think for many 
perhaps most women like professional help figuring out <laughs> like how to ration food and feed yourself appropriately, like given the demands of our culture, it is very easy to feel lightheaded <laughs> um, on a regular or semi-regular basis. Hey, it's Lena from the Editing Bay. Where else? Just wanted to quickly say that listening back on this, like it is entirely possible. This is not, in fact, a universal female experience. Uh, it is definitely mine, though, in large part because I have some really annoying dietary restrictions and it makes it difficult for me to just grab food on the go. So, yeah. Okay, bye. So, like, maybe the appeal there is, like, some dude being like, I'm your fucking nutritionist now. <laughs> but, like, I was just like, why is this happening? Yeah. It's also very, I don't know, the whole eating disorder glamorization right. of it all and normalization. Like, oh, it's so quirky how she just, like, forgets to eat. Like, is it? <laughs> I don't think so. Right. She literally faints because she hasn't eaten enough. Yeah. And Hades is and like. he's like, when's the last time you eat? And she's like, um, I don't know, yesterday. Like, I had a the snack. Party. Like. That's <laughs> like. And uh... he gets mad at her. And I'm like, this woman is ill. Like, this is not. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Like, I guess what we're trying to get at, it's not that it's out of character. It seems like actively not in his best interest. If you care about this character at all or become invested in him in any way in the course of reading this book, it does not seem like who he actually wants to be, that he is this gruff dude, like manhandling his girlfriend all the mm -hmm. time. Or like, maybe we're protecting and like, that's what we want for them. <laughs> like, I don't know. But like, he's like, super considerate and kind and like really into consent but like loves fucking her face until she cries and i'm like okay that's pornhub.com writing this yeah. book that's not something that i think either of these characters i don't know again like your sexuality doesn't have to reflect your personality like etc cetera, etc cetera. but like if you have a persona know. of being like the big scary guy who forces women to do things that they don't want to do and your character arc in the book is to actually be able to be yourself around your partner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I feel like that shit would be the first thing to go. Yes. And then later it's like, oh, actually, I find that kind of hot. Like, maybe we could introduce some right. more play like that. Like, that's one thing. Right. But, like, the actual trajectory of the characters in this fictional story where like one would hope there is character development uh -huh. <laughs> seems to be antithetical to some of the like particular fetishes that this author seems to have yeah. <laughs> and yeah the face fucking is really one that always will bug me um <laughs> literally like i want to make her cry during sex i don't know just jail every time i'm sorry <laughs> yeah um no. i don't think i'm ever gonna be okay with that one i don't think i'm ever gonna be okay with that either he has other random bouts of possessiveness it's just weird hashtag not our hades <laughs> um the last thing i'll say really quickly for plc is although this novel sort of gestures at clapping back against purity culture particularly in romance novels on the back of this very romance novel itself, the book is described as a Persephone and Hades retelling that's, quote, as sinful as it is sweet, end quote. And like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like the marketing team did not understand the sort of political feminist thrust of the book in that regard. As much as it's trying to have one. Yeah. Yeah, like... We as a society, it seems just like cannot be normal about women getting their jollies on anything. <laughs> getting their jollies. Get, getting their jollies. Um, Don't like that. Getting their pickle tickled. <laughs> no, stop. Ew. <laughs> 
Yeah, getting into anything in a sexual way. (laughs) Including, like, just reading romance novels, which the point of them is that they make you feel a little flirty. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that's fine. (laughs) Like, that is a normal reaction to art about sex. If you are engaging with that because you want to think about sex and feel sexual feelings, like... Good. That's literally the purpose. Yep. And you don't have to fucking go to confession about it. (laughs) Even as modern romance culture has mushroomed Mm -hmm. in the way that it has in the last five-ish years, like, I am seeing more on social media of, like, they don't know how, like, dirty I am in private. There are these two sides of it where it's, like, women who, you know, this is a big part of, like, their private life. They don't seem like outwardly like the kind of girl who's going to be reading some like crazy kinky bdsm motorcycle Mm -hmm. club gangbang (laughs) thing and they're like they don't know how bad i really am Uh or there are like women who make it their entire personality Mm -hmm. and literally have tattoos based on some of these romance novels and stuff yeah our friend is in a facebook group about this tells us horror stories all the time (laughs) and i'm just like guys like what if it was totally neutral that you enjoy sex (laughs) like because you're a human being (laughs) due to having a human body like you enjoy one of its primary functions Mm -hmm. that's just my endorsement for being normal (laughs) about your own sex life you don't have to justify it to anyone it's okay to like sex the end cheers (laughs) (laughs) okay babe anthropology corner time So we cannot do this without talking about the actual Hades and Persephone story, (laughs) which is, there are a couple different versions of it. It's either like Hades spots Persephone and just steals her from the world into the underworld, or he spots Persephone and he goes to his brother Zeus and says, hey, that girl's really hot. I want to steal her away. And Zeus is like, okay, I'll like lure her into a spot where you can take her. Super cool, Um, because by all accounts, Persephone is Zeus's daughter. Yep. (laughs) And also like his niece and his like, there's anyway, as we know, (laughs) the Greek pantheon is pretty fucked up. But anyway, then Hades steals Persephone away. Her mother is like freaking out and goes looking for her. And eventually they make a deal where she can return to the regular world. But then because she has eaten the fruit of the underworld, she ate pomegranate seeds, Mm -hmm. either four or six, depending on the telling of it. So she has to spend that many months out of each year in the underworld with Hades Mm -hmm. as his like underworld queen Mm -hmm. a version that i heard was a lot more demeter focused and hades tries to ask demeter for persephone's hand Mm -hmm. and demeter's like fuck no i Mm -hmm. hate your ass and hades like okay sick i'll kidnap your daughter and he does and there's a tribunal to like determine if persephone actually wants to be there like if she says yes then everything's kosher if she says Mm -hmm. no she gets to go back home which is sort of gestured out via zoom call in this book (laughs) and like as a trick hades feeds her pomegranate seeds which are supposed to imbue love of the underworld Mm -hmm. um and so like at this meeting she says yes even though she doesn't really mean it and demeter is so pissed off that she she's like the goddess of crops and fertility and she cuts off like the human food supply basically the entire time that persephone is down there and so to negotiate a livable world they go halvesies and so it's like the half of the year that persephone is down there with hades we have winter and fall where all Mm -hmm. of the crops are fallow because demeter is pissed off and then spring comes and fecundity resumes when persephone 
goes back to be with her mother. Yes. So obviously the origin of this myth is like explaining the seasons, but it is very much a uh, kidnap <laughs> and uh, possibly Stockholm syndrome is pretty much the crux of it. And definitely it's supposed to be like old man lusting after youthful beauty yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this book, I don't think I mentioned this earlier, our girl here is 24 and Hades is like 32. Yeah. Um, so it is an age gap, but not an egregious one by any means. And it's a very different kind of story. Yeah. And I will say that actually a lot of people online wanted it to be more like the actual story. It was not dark enough for a lot of readers and not as dark as we expected either. I mean, it was marketed as a dark romance and it really was not at all. Yeah. It was a, a pretty regular romance. <laughs> Laughable when it tried to be. Yeah. <laughs> I will say like there are, I am aware of at least one other, but I'm sure there were several other straight up mafia romances that are supposed to be Hades, Hades Persephone, Persephone. Yeah. Retelling. Well, I mean, that's again, basically what this is. Yeah. You know, this is not the first book to do this. This is not the first form of media of any kind to do this. There are lots of Greek myth retellings and uh, lots of this particular pairing as well. But it is certainly one that seems to be on the tamer side, the less dark side. I'll just skip ahead to the Goodreads reviews because actually Goodreads user Beautifully Bookish Bethany has said it about as well as I was going to say it just now. She said, I really like this as a sexy modern take on Hades and Persephone that does away with the most problematic elements of the story and leaves you with just a hint of magic. Consent is always prioritized and Persephone has a lot of agency. It also does a good job of making the power elements feel balanced and more about freedom, trust, and being cared for rather than a toxic domination. So yeah, here, pretty here. much sums up a lot of what we just said. Bethany gave this five stars. On Goodreads in general, it has 3.72 stars. <laughs> this is our first book that has a lower Goodreads rating than the history of Tom Jones, a foundling. <laughs> The book our protagonist in Pucked by Helena Hunting was reading and was sad that it wasn't smut. Boo! <laughs> Boo, Boo! Entirely. Like, what? Okay, lowest rated book so far, I think. I will say, I do think the world building relate <laughs> had a part to play in it. I'm like, aren't these girlies just reading these books for sex? Though? I know! <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so um, mostly four star reviews, followed by five stars and then three. This book got five stars from Goodreads user D.L. Howe. And despite her giving it five stars, she said, so this wasn't as BDSM forward as I had hoped, mostly voyeurism. But honestly, even though this one had spice, that's not why I loved it. I fucking adore Hades and Persephone. They were everything I wanted and more. Adorable, sweet, funny, and loving. God, I'm gonna miss them. <laughs> Her review was longer than this, but I just wanted to highlight that part specifically because I found it interesting. This was one of many reviews that was like, this wasn't kinky enough or like I was promised darker romance than mm -hmm. this. But she still loved it and gave it five stars. So I think that the way that this couple seems well suited to each other has won readers over, despite the fact that a lot of what was promised in this book was not delivered on. <laughs> Goodreads user Melina's Library gave it five stars and said, I loved this Hades. While he was brooding, tough, and mysterious, he was also absolutely devoted to Persephone. 
a true I hate everyone but you secret cinnamon roll. I don't agree that he hates everyone but her. I think what she likes about him is that he actually really loves everyone. Well, it's funny. He has like a complex about, I don't know, this like image that's been set for him through the Hades role. And so mm-hmm. he's like, everyone actually fears me. And she's like, dude, like everyone, everyone loves literally you. loves you. <laughs> like you are like the mayor of this town. <laughs> yeah. And he is basically the mayor of this town. Again, completely unclear what his actual... He's just Hades, and so therefore he rules this town. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Like, he makes sure that the supply shipments are coming through, and he keeps it secure, and he knows everyone who lives there. But he also, like, personally stops in at the flower shop and makes sure that Norman is doing okay or whatever. So... It's like Stars Hollow, like, just in the middle of this dark BDSM (laughs) Literally, um, (laughs) Lena was like, it's very Hallmark movie when it's not sex dungeon and I wrote that down uh, yesterday when she said it I was like we gotta say that when we record tomorrow well because the immediate image that was conjured in my mind when they were like gallivanting around the lower city having a lovely little time was like Belle with the beast in the winter time Mm -hmm. (laughs) don't copyright us Disney Um, just like you know I'm discovering that he's sweet because he's actually nice to people who aren't me sometimes Um, and yeah like it's very much exactly that Um, yeah it is very much giving Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. But with like less Stockholm Syndrome than Beauty and the oh, Beast, yeah. actually. <laughs> no, Persephone is like, I would love it if you fucked me in public, yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, back to <laughs> Melina's review. Yeah. Secret she cinnamon says, roll. We don't think he hates everyone. Yeah. He consistently cared for Persephone's well-being and honestly was just the consent king with how much he checked in with Persephone and her consent. Their chemistry was instant and explosive, and watching them unravel from their masks they are used to putting in place while they fell in love was so cute and heartwarming. I liked that there was no miscommunication. The conflict was a plot thing rather than a relationship thing. I liked that too. I mean, it was like they I, both- But I assumed that the conflict would be that she doesn't want to fucking live there anymore. I know. And like, it kind of was like- they were both thinking about it and it was like affecting the way they were behaving as like mm-hmm. the date drew closer. But like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it should have been a relationship thing a little bit. Yeah. But it was, I mean, they were pretty upfront with each other. No, miscommunication is annoying and overplayed. Yeah. And like, yeah. I don't think that would have been it is also like, the better option. Even though that is the main conflict in most rom-com sort of things, I yeah. like cringe so hard. Anytime the main plot is like, oh no, like someone misunderstood someone and now there's a whole thing about it. I'm like, ah, I hate you guys. Just talk to each other. Anyway, I wanted to just quickly run through a couple of other reviews from some other users who thought that this book was not delivering enough on its promises. So Lisa gave it four stars and said, I liked it. I just wish Hades was a bit darker and not as nice as he was. LOL. (laughs) Um, Jamie J gave it four stars and said, this book is a lot tamer than I would have anticipated for a spicy, dark romance. Yeah, I agree. I also was anticipating darker. And Mio or Mayo gave it three stars and said, Hades wasn't dark enough for me or dark at all, really, which I mean, the series is called Dark Olympus. So give me that dark. These are also very interesting to me because I think what we're going to get into as we start reading more genuine dark romance is like... Which is more of the twisted love variety. Yes. Like, what is the appeal of the dark romance? Like, I also agree. I felt like we were sold 
something in the way this book was marketed that we did not receive in the book. Yeah. And I think we actually liked it because... Although by the end of it, I was like, just kills it. Like, he's, <laughs> he's like, I'm not that kind of guy. Like, like it's like, you would be man. a little bad. Like, damn. <laughs> I know. He was so good. It was actually a little grating. But that being said, I think we did find elements of it that were like, surprisingly not dark, pretty nice. Right. Um, but, but like, I, when we were going into dark romance, you were like, oh, so it's like something really scary is happening like in the plot and i was like no like dark romance means the guy is like abusing her yeah generally speaking and like that is what interests me is that like dark means like the sexual behavior yes is is dark dark. (laughs) um so this anthropology quarter is sort of just like setting up an open question like Mm -hmm. clearly a lot of people didn't like this book because it was actually too nice like the woman was treated too nicely there wasn't enough angst there wasn't enough sadistic behavior there wasn't enough power play and that's interesting i don't know what's up with that um stay tuned to find out because we will because i'm sure we'll we'll just (laughs) solve that one (laughs) well we'll at least read more things in the genre and have more material to discuss yes so i think that's it for tonight yeah lena what are you reading this week i am gonna start my next read soon i think i'm still kind of like in my creepy era but i also saw this dumbler post like recommending books like summer sons of just sad fucked up gay boys who may or may not know that they are in fact gay (laughs) and was recommended vicious by v.e schwab uh, Mm. which i don't really know anything about i know schwab is sort of like based on what i've seen on social media either like people's favorite author ever or they like hate her guts yeah um i feel like that is what i've gathered (laughs) should be interesting but that is (laughs) stay tuned (laughs) like next on my tbr probably starting at like tomorrow what are you reading right now i am actually i'm in the midst of reading multiple books which i don't usually do actually this is very strange behavior for me that is strange but um (laughs) i'm about to finish my dark vanessa which i can't remember if i mentioned on this podcast before but i started it earlier this summer and had to put it down because it was like really getting to me like do a little Um, (laughs) therapy genuinely yeah and i picked it back up yesterday and i'm almost done with it now well i don't know if i've mentioned it on the podcast but i read it a couple months ago Mm -hmm. and it's like one of my favorite books of the year. I mean, like, I literally finished it and just like sobbed uncontrollably for like half an hour. Like it affected me so deeply. And I feel like the author just like had such a uniquely powerful grasp on the subject matter in a way that I've never seen the subject matter being a male, like authority figure preying on a younger female person. And in this case, like a girl at a private school, like getting into a relationship with her English teacher. And I say relationship because this book is really explicit about dealing with the complexities of like someone who thinks that she is mature and capable enough to like consent to everything Mm -hmm. that's happening to her. Right. And she gets into like Tumblr Lolita culture Mm -hmm. and like just feels very much like someone who grew up with a lot of the same sort of influences around this subject matter that like I did. Yeah, and I I think what I have appreciated about it the most is that it feels very unique as far as stories go about this subject matter in that Mm -hmm. it is incredibly nuanced about this. And I don't think I've ever read another book that takes so seriously 
the agency that young girls and women do have Mm -hmm. in situations like this and why they might get something out of it too Mm -hmm. or why they might be convinced that they are even if they're objectively being traumatized every day. And, you know, I think it adds a lot of really much needed and really refreshing kind of perspective to a topic that I think has become increasingly super black and white. Totally. And it's written with like just deep compassion and understanding Mm -hmm. um, of this character, even as you're like, oh my God, like it doesn't feel like you want to be mad at her in the book, even when she's like a teenager being like, no, like what are you doing? Because it's like you get it, like you get her reasons for doing it. And the older man is written so like he is a genius Mm -hmm. at manipulation Mm -hmm. and like feeding into this idea of like, you have all the power here. Like I would die at your feet. Yeah. It's really powerful. It's the main character, you know, someone who was in this kind of relationship as a girl. It's, it's her as a grown woman being forced to sort of reckon with this relationship that she had as a 15 year old because other accusations have come out about this man Mm -hmm. and like there is just no clear way to feel prescribed by this book or like answers you just really get where she's coming from even when where she's coming from is like i felt genuinely powerful and that was an important relationship to me yeah and it's totally consumed her entire life and and she can't function yeah she's like an alcoholic and like with the privilege of remove obviously you as a reader are like a crime is being done to this girl Mm -hmm. but both of those things are true and yeah i just think it's like a really powerful examination of what is the nature of truth in a relationship like this and just like consciousness and agency and like how those things pertain to especially teenage girls but also women sort of coming of age as Mm -hmm. adults and yeah i don't know just like really powerful I am glad you've trucked on, but I know it's a very difficult read. (laughs) Yeah. If you're up for a read like this, I would really recommend it. It's beautifully written also. Oh, my God. Um, It's very compelling. So, yeah, on that super uh, positive note, (laughs) (laughs) Lena, where can we find you on social media? Uh, You can find me on Instagram at Lena L. Wilson. That is also my Patreon handle if you would like to support my work as a freelancer more generally, which also includes the editing and production of this here podcast. Please consider that. It helps us out with various things, bills, life, while, (laughs) you know, I'm freelancing, which is what I do. And my general website, if you wanted to learn more about my work as a writer, is lenawilson.work. And you can find me, Nadine, at Nadine Santoro on Instagram and at nadinesantoro.com. And you can find us, Thinking Straight, at Thinking Straight Pod on Instagram and thinkingstraightpod at gmail.com. Yes, please write in any thoughts and questions and any listener feedback. We're always into it. I'm quickly going to give you some puppy ASMR because Neil is sleeping in my arms. <laughs> And then I'm going to tell you to stay spicy. <laughs> <laughs> stay spicy. <laughs> this is the last time I'm testing the mic. Mm. We're just a podcast, a dyke and a dyke. <laughs> <laughs>